Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is Cop Talk. Talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamette and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired detective from NYPD. I'm here with my co-host, Captain Ed Mamet. Ed? Hello, everybody. Um, this is a retired Captain Ed Mamet, New York City Police Department, and we're here with a very interesting guest who I can't wait to hear what has to say. So today our guest is the Yankees Police Commissioner, Christopher Sapienza. Did I say that correctly, Yes, Commissioner? good afternoon, everyone. Okay. Commissioner, thank you for coming on the show. Um, Yonkers, for you folks out there that don't know where Yonkers is, it's in Westchester, New York. Okay. A city in Yonkers is its own city in Westchester. Is that correct? Yes. And third largest in the state. Third largest in the state. Okay. Commissioner, so give us a little background about yourself when you came on the job and how you rose to the rank of commissioner. Sure. Well, if you go back to the very beginning, uh, long before I was a police officer, I was a Marine. Uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I always wanted to become a police officer, which I, uh, when I came back from the Gulf War, I, I started looking into it and became a police officer and spent most of my years in the, the police department and emergency service. That's where I really cut my teeth and was promoted to sergeant and lieutenant and so on, and eventually uh, became a commissioner in the department. And going back to being a Marine, Ed, you're a Marine. Yeah, well, um, when I was looking at your resume, the first thing that I saw that impressed me was that you're a former Marine. And people should know you're never an ex-Marine, you're a former Marine. In fact, once a Marine, you're always a Marine. And uh, in 1956, I joined the Marine Corps Reserve, and I went into the Marine Corps Air Wing. Uh, a lot of people don't know that the Marine Corps had their own air wing. Um, so I appreciate your service, and I feel as you're a colleague. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. That was... Uh Marine Chris was a very long time ago. That's uh, <laughs> old Chris, who's the Marine Corps. Thank you both for your service. I was only a Boy Scout, but I'm very <laughs> happy and proud to be here among uh, Marines. So, Commissioner, um, so tell us, what's going on in Yonkers? I mean, what's how's it going with the uh, crime stats and uh, how's it going with the uh, your prosecutor up there? Is it similar to we have what we have here in New York City? We're letting everybody go, uh, basically a turnstile. So if you could elaborate, that'd be great. Uh, I'm proud of what we, we're doing in Yonkers, and first and foremost, I'm, I'm proud of the, the, the work that our officers are doing. We always or take a proactive approach. We play the hand that we're dealt. So, yeah, there's reasons why we have challenges like everyone else, and you know, I, I refer to it as the trifecta of difficult legislation, and by that I'm talking about bail reform, discovery, raise the age, all these recent challenges that we have. But I'm very proud at the same time that we've kept violent crime way down in, in Yonkers. Our numbers are very, very low. Our, if you look at our shootings, if you look at our violent crimes, they are a fraction of what you see in cities of comparable size. But that said, uh, some of these legislative changes uh, and the way we do business in general now has affected some numbers and you know quality of life complaints uh, 
are slightly up. Property crime is slightly up. Uh, this new phenomenon is uh, catalytic converters, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that kind of stuff. Uh, but again, we don't make excuses and we're trying to do the best job we can. Captain? You mentioned catalytic converters. Mine was stolen about four months ago. I left my car in front of my apartment for like two days. On a Saturday morning, I go down to start up car and it sounded like an explosion. I had no yeah. idea it was the catalytic converter. So I turned off the engine. I thought maybe it was a truck nearby. I started it again. It was the converter. And it cost $900 to replace that converter for an old, a 20-year-old car. So I understand that's a big, big, uh, it's quite an epidemic. I didn't realize it's uh, that bad in Yonkers. Sure. And, and this is one of those issues that I think is directly related to legislation. You know, they, it's considered that property crime is not a big deal, right? No one's getting hurt. It's, oh, it's just a catalytic converter, you know, let this person out of jail. But, you know, these are the kind of crimes that are increasing. And the bad guys are getting more brazen. They're doing more of them and they're profitable. And there's precious metals and catalytic converters, the palladium and all these uh, expensive materials that they sell. There's virtually no legislation in, in place to deal with it. Uh, and then we have cases where you have recidivists that you get you know, the same guy 20, 30 times doing this and still they're somehow able to stay out of jail. And uh, so we employ our own strategies. Uh, one of the biggest strategies that I use is the fact we had a moratorium on pursuits for many years and Yonkers wouldn't pursue you. And I put an end to that. And it's a dual-edged sword. It's something you got to be careful of. It's something you have to weigh the pros and cons of. But I think it's important f for people to know that if you uh, flee if you take off in a car and you know head back to New York City or any other jurisdiction that Yonkers may and probably will follow you and, and make the arrest. And it's an important message to send out. Some of the other things we're doing is we're employing the license plate readers, uh, our real-time crime center in Westchester County, and we have a very robust auto crime uh, program in Yonkers too. And we deal with it uh, using that. And we also we believe in what we call disruptive policing. And, you know, I know there's a lot of repackaged and a lot of different versions of this. Some people call it broken windows. But the thing we look at is if you have the, a stolen car, if you have a car with fake license plates, if you have a car that's committed infractions, if you ignore those things, you're not going to have an opportunity to stumble upon someone committing these crimes. So we're aggressive in apprehending those crimes. And in the process, we're curtailing some of these catalytic converter thefts and other thefts. Is it fair to say since 2012 to 2000, uh, 2022, in the 10-year span, crime is down 45% in Yonkers? Yes. it's Crime is down overall, and particularly violent crime is down. And the one thing that's absolutely remarkable is our detectives, our Clear, our case clearance rate in Yonkers is somewhere around 70%, which is unheard of. Uh, we basically, we see these cases through and we're having a lot of success with following through on these cases right till the end. Uh, and we have very good intelligence. We have very good interactions with the community and support from the community. Uh, it enables us to go out there, identify patterns, get community support, and put away the bad guys. And how many officers do you have total with Yonkers PD? We have uh, all in all 700, probably about 620 sworn. Okay. Is there one union? Is it just one PBA or is it uh, no, we have, FOP? We have one. Uh, we have the PBA and we also have the Captains, Lieutenants, and Sergeants Association 
Uh, the detectives in Yonkers fall under the PBA and every boss falls under the CLSA. What is your approach in regards to recruitment and retention? So recruitment, I always say people want to pay f- for the Boy Scouts, but they want the Marine Corps, right? So we want to pay our officers well. We want to give them good benefits and we want to treat them like professionals. You know, I think the worst thing you could do with the police department is treat people in a way where they're glorified security guards, where they're, you know, mechanical. You know, you want to encourage initiative. If you show me any profession uh, that exercises initiative, it's usually, a, you know, a, a high tier profession, your doctors, your lawyers out there, there's a lot of discretion. And a lot of what you see happening now is people trying to take away discretion from police officers. And I think that's a bad thing. I agree. Captain? Uh, you know, you're, you raised an interesting policy decision. You are reinstituting pursuits when most agencies are going the other way, and they're, they're calling yeah. them off. And not only are they restricting vehicle pursuits, but cities like Chicago and some others are restricting foot pursuits. Yeah. Are you aware of that? <laughs> yes, and <laughs> Pennsylvania as well. It's bizarre to me. So so I find that most interesting is that you've uh, you've done that. Um, has that affected your accident rate, your police accident rate, or you know collisions with others? Yeah. So, uh, as a as an administrator, as somebody who's the former fleet, you know, uh, chief back, you know, under support services, yeah, I cringe every time a car crashes. I, I cringe every time I look at my phone. The last thing you want to do is see vehicle crash, cops getting hurt, civilians getting hurt. You constantly have to weigh, you know, hey, is there another way we could get this person? Do we know who they are? Could we get them later on? Uh, how much danger is at stake? Uh, but at the same time, if people know for a fact that you are never going to pursue them when you leave the city limits, they will lead you on a pursuit every single time and they will commit crimes. Um, but it's a, a very fine line to walk. We had an instant last an instance last night. We had an armed robbery last night at you know, three o'clock in the morning that resulted in a pursuit to New York City that was ultimately terminated. Uh, and I think the cops and the supervisors at that scene made a very good call. You know, they, they took it as far as they were going to take it. But when it got dangerous and it got far away and it really didn't justify itself at that point, they terminated. And these are the kind of discretionary decisions that these officers are making on a daily basis. And then they're, they're doing a good job at it. You know, speaking of uh, car crashes, unfortunately, I know a couple months. Well, in the last couple months, you lost two police officers. One was a detective sergeant, correct? Uh, yes. A, someone crashed into him, unfortunately, and taken his life. Could you tell us about that scenario? It's of course a horrible situation. We had our traffic sergeant uh, while he was working in an unmarked radio car was basically struck by a youth without uh, a driver's license, with a driver's permit driving a BMW M5, which I believe is the fastest production sedan out there. And, you know, essentially driving like a lunatic during rush hour, driving at a high rate of speed. Our preliminary investigation shows that he was going at least 75 miles an hour, you know, during rush hour traffic and a, you know, bumper to bumper kind of street. Uh, And he lost control of the car because he had no idea how to drive that car and recklessly and I believe criminally killed our officer. What was the What was he charged with? The uh, youth. Well, we're we're still the, the case is ongoing, so I, I don't want to get into as far as uh, charges. But uh, we're we're putting the information together, and we're going to file charges when appropriate. He's the uh, suspect is still in the hospital 
himself as a result of the accident. Was it was it his car or was it uh, registered to him or his it's, father? It's mother? registered to his father, and you know I have every intention on following through with whoever is responsible for giving this kid this car and essentially weaponizing him. Right. So we don't know if his parents were aware he took the car or not. But now we're, we're we're sorting all that out now. Gotcha. But if that is the case, we will pursue right. that as well. Absolutely, rightfully so. Um, and then, unfortunately, recently another, I believe, a 16-year veteran of the Yonkers PD was uh, also died. Uh, actually, in New York City, correct? Yeah, another you know tragic accident, and another you know great officer and a great person. Just recently promoted to detective. We just had the ceremony for him. Uh, we swore him in maybe three weeks ago, and he unfortunately had a, a medical episode that in turn caused the car accident. So it wasn't actually the, the car accident, but uh you know, he he's missed by all and just a just a good hearted guy. I, at his memorial service the other day, I, I was just moved by the amount of people that came out and said, you know, what a what a great parent he was, what a great coach he was. And, you know, he had that house in the neighborhood where kids would would go to their house and just you know, watch games and play sports and just, he was missed by a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. That's a shame. And again, you had a rough year, you know, past couple of months, actually. Yeah. Uh, you, Captain? Uh, you pointed out that uh, you, you have the community actively engaged. Can you elaborate on that? Because community participation has always been part of uh, police work. I mean, the New York City Police Department has, when I was yeah. in uh, many years ago, we started that community council's and, you know, you really can't get the job accomplished unless the community supports you. But could you be specific as to what you have done relating to community involvement? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's a very important component of what we do. And we, we take it to a new level. And we, we had a police reform committee and we, we basically listened to their concerns in the community. You know, what do you what do you think the police are doing right? What do you think the police are doing wrong? We actually do surveys. We do annual surveys, uh, basically asking that same question. I, I treat the community in Yonkers as as if we're providing customer service, as if you know we're IBM or any other company. I want to know how we're doing and what we could do better. And we have almost an insurmountable number of outreach programs out there. We have the Yonkers Police Youth uh, initiative. Uh, we have the the moms program. We have uh, the police cadet program. We have cops, uh, cops and kids programs. And all these programs are not only designed for us to interact with kids in the community, but to interact with kids when they're younger. You know, a lot of the complaints that we get is, boy, you know, it's great that you do this with the community. I wish you got to my son younger. I wish you got to my daughter younger. So, you know, we get to them at a young age and, you know, they get to know who the police are in their community and through these programs and they grow up with the police department and grow up with these officers. And it gets to the point where they're older. We, we know who everybody is and we have a great relationship with them. I always point out during the, uh, the George Floyd riots, we had uh, we didn't have any riots. We had a couple of demonstrations and of the three demonstrations that we had, we made only one single arrest. No property destroyed and we had no other arrests, which is incredible. And I actually had community leaders calling me up uh, and saying, hey, listen, 
not criticizing us for what happened 10,000 miles away, but asking me, hey, what do you need? Could we come out here? Could we help you? What do you need from us? And we got that because of our daily interaction with the community. We don't call on them when something goes wrong. We call on them all the time. salon and the grocery store i'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store groceries through instacart delivered to my door i don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. You know, getting back to swinging back to uh, um, pursuits, car pursuits. Yes. Do you get many that come in from the city up to Yonkers, uh, or um, so you know, from the Bronx, I should say. Yeah, you know, I don't like pointing the fingers at other jurisdictions, but I would say though, there's in general, and you see a lot of this in New York City, just by virtue of its size, that there is a certain lawlessness. It's a palpable lawlessness. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know. People have you know, turned the blind eye to some of these minor crimes, and it, it's spilling over into our jurisdiction. So we have a lot of cases where someone comes on the throughway or they come on the Bronx River Parkway to commit a crime and then leave. We had, when smash and grab robberies were big last year and the year before, we had a couple of those, but they, they soon realized that we're so aggressive in how we deal with those problems that they kind of stopped. But no, we're still getting a lot of stolen cars. We're still getting these catalytic converters, which are kind of like the, I remember in the 80s, it was the Benzibox stereos. You used to have the Hydra stereo. But we, we get some of that. And most recently, we're having an, uh, an uptick in shoplifting. So we have a lot of big box stores in Yonkers. So we have major businesses. And we're seeing that people are driving up to commit these shoplifting uh, crimes and then leave. So you, do you find these pettit larcenies to turn into robberies with these uh, shoplifting stores? Yeah, it, it does happen. So what happens is, you know, at some point, you know, when they're challenged by store security and someone, you know, puts hands on them, then maybe it escalates. Maybe they have a weapon on them or maybe it's just a physical struggle that's technically a robbery. But it's at some point, someone who's getting confronted that doesn't want to go to jail is going to fight. And- you know, what's kind of funny with these with these laws, what we're seeing in Yonkers is that the public is so alarmed by this as well. And they're so outraged by some of these uh, crimes that are being ignored that they're actually getting into the fight. And I, you know, I don't condone it. I hope that citizens just call the police. But we're seeing when there's a shoplifting occurring, we have citizens jumping into the fight and saying, hey, what are you doing? You can't steal that stuff. And they're getting into altercations with the suspects. In a lot of cases, because the businesses won't get involved because they don't want the liability. So if you show me a big business that doesn't have a proactive shoplifting 
uh, or loss prevention program, I'll show you a store where citizens are getting involved. Just, well, you know, I think that could possibly happen here in the city. If you read the uh, news accounts, some of the stores are using dogs now. Yes. Uh, to scare off, and it's working. Uh, I went in the other day to uh, a, a place, and there was a dog. <laughs> Nobody would go near the, the security guard with the dog. So the dogs are very intimidating. They're better than the cops. I, I, I saw that image of uh, Saks Fifth Avenue during the riots when they had all the uh, police-looking dogs, yeah. pit bulls and Dobermans and German Shepherds lined up on Fifth Avenue. And I said, wow, that, that would be the last place I would shoplift yeah. from. Yeah. By the way, uh, what I want to ask you, you know, the problem we have in here in New York City is there's very little support uh, from the uh, some of the district attorneys yeah. and the city council. Uh, they're the one, the city council have passed laws that are restricting the cops here in the city. You know, like the, they took away qualified immunity. Um, now, I, qualified immunity affects you too because it's a statewide law, but the city, yes. when he, city of New York doubled up on that. They came up with their own qualified immunity concept. And then the chest compression law. So the cops here in the city are restricted in many ways because of the city council. Do you have such a problem with your local legislators? Well, before I answer that, the one thing I will mention about both of those laws specifically is that was the impetus for the moratorium on the pursuits. Because the last thing I wanted was for a Yonkers police officer to be in another jurisdiction with laws they aren't familiar with and that laws that you know could put them in a precarious position and specifically those two laws. So even though I still don't like those laws, in practical application, I haven't seen qualified immunity affect anybody outside of New York City, only their own officers. So even though I don't like it, I have to play the odds and say there are times where I have to come into New York City and kind of deal with it. Uh, and the same thing with the, uh, with the the chest compression, you know, like you're taking away tools and you know, at some point you have to apprehend somebody that doesn't want to be handcuffed. And there's only so many ways to do it. And we're not using chokeholds, obviously. We're not using excessive force, obviously. So, you know, putting a knee on a on a on a on a suspect that's fighting you not to be arrested is not unreasonable. And it's a, a technique we actually teach in the academy. So to say that we can't use that when we're making an arrest doesn't make any sense. Well, apparently it's not a major problem for you. Yeah, but you you raise a good point. You know, I didn't realize it. If one of your people, this is more of a legal question, which I don't have the answer to. If one of your people pursues someone into the city of New York and gets into a situation uh, where uh, they have to the the, the chest compression law, uh, would would that take? Would that affect your people? See, that's the thing. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to apply it, but I don't know if it's within their purview to do so. I think we're if we're following our local rules and policies. I don't know if you could apply New York City's to our officers, and I, I really don't want to find out, but I'm sh I'm sure that somewhere there's an overzealous prosecutor sure. out there that would try, so. Well, well, the the um, Corporation Council of the City of New York is the one that deals with the qualified immunity issue. Yeah. Now, the question is, if one of your people takes action in the City of New York, does the New York City qualified immunity law apply to your guys? You know, the state would, but would you yeah. have both the state and the city? I think maybe that's something you want to look into. Yeah. Well, and listen, I'm here to tell you that one of my officers acting in scope, doing his job, we will indemnify and irrespective of any other rule or law. And I know that there's more to it with qualified immunity, uh, but 
our, our officers know that. We're not going to hang you out to dry and say you acted out of scope when you were, in fact, acting within your scope. I mean, what happened to uh, use necessary force to effect an arrest? And what Absolutely. happened to, you're under arrest, put your hands behind your back, compliance, comply. And, you know, half these uh, issues wouldn't be happening, you know. You don't fight with the police, you're under arrest, and that's the end of it. Uh, Commissioner, um, CompStat, do you, do you guys, do you have CompStat up in, uh, yeah, or something similar to CompStat <laughs> up in Yonkers? Just like, uh, yeah, we, we do have CompStat. Uh, and you know what's interesting? You know, I as a, as a young cop, I always hated CompStat, right? As a young boss, I really hated CompStat. Uh, but it's important. It brings not only accountability, but it also show, it, it's a way of gauging if your crime strategies are working. So, you know, on a monthly basis, we we see in real time, uh, is this working or not? Where our major patterns are? Where do we need to direct our resources? So it's a very, very important tool. Uh, but it's funny, I almost thought in the back of my mind when I was a chief before I was commissioner, that maybe I would do away with CompStat. Maybe I'd be that guy that says, you know, we don't need this anymore. And, you know, you'd be a hero to the men, right? No more, no more CompStat. We're not going to do this anymore. But when you see it really work and when you see it applied, you realize you, you can't do it. It's here to stay. This is modern policing. This is how we do business. And it's not going anywhere. The, the one thing I will say, if you ever sit in on our CompStat, and you're welcome to do so, you'll see it's a collegial environment. It's 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 more friendly. It's We don't point the fingers at people. We just merely want to get our answers, and we want to direct our resources, and it's participative. Captain? Uh, I was going to ask you something before. Um, how many police stations do you have? What precincts do you have in your- place? We have four major precincts, uh, and we have- uh, a fifth sort of uh, annex precinct in in Getty Square, and we have, of course, you know, other units. We have uh, pattern crimes unit. We have we also a you know, narcotics unit. We have emergency service. Pretty much all the units that you would see uh, in New York City. Do you have uh, the equivalent of a precinct community council in each precinct? Like in New York City, each precinct has its own community council. Yes. Do you have the equivalent? Well, we, we, we not only have the community councils, we have one in each precinct, uh, but we also have local business uh, uh, boards as well. So we have the downtown bid, we have the taxpayers associations, we have rotary groups, we have uh, various community groups. There's almost not enough time in a day. On, on any given day, we have several of these community events going on. Our commanding officers and executive officers attend these meetings. I attend many of them myself. Uh, and again, that's to me, those meetings were an opportunity to interact with the public. And we, we find out things that we wouldn't have if we, if we didn't attend these meetings. And it gives us a chance to you know, practice that customer service. Hey, what, what are the issues you're facing? You know, what, what, what aren't you happy with? And we pay attention at those meetings and we address every issue that comes up. Have a robust community involvement. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I, I that really annoys me is I don't know if you're aware of this, but under the current administration and, and here in New York, they want the community to actually decide who precinct commander should be. Now that really bothers me because that smacks of politics. And polit we all know that there's a level of politics involved in police work. But in theory, politics and police should be absolutely separated. And I was just wondering, when you appoint a precinct commander, do you have to check with your community or is this solely on your discretion? 
No, it's 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 my discretion. But I take the input from the community very seriously. If someone has any objections to uh, a specific uh, commander, then it would be something I would consider. I would I would also think that I wouldn't present anybody for promotion that uh, the community wouldn't accept. You know, they wouldn't make it past me at that point as far as uh, an interview process. But you know, I agree with you. It, it should be hands off to the extent we have a job to do. It should be based on policing. Commissioner, just one last question. Uh, how's morale with the Yonkers Police Department? Well, it's easy for me to say. I'm sitting here. I, I would say it's great. I, I hope it's great. Um, I, I know a lot of people say that they have an open door policy, but I really do practice that. And uh, if someone comes in and, and, and tells me that morale isn't good, I take it very seriously. Uh, but I am in close contact with both unions and I'd like to think as many of our officers uh, as possible. And I, I think I get a sense that morale is pretty good right now. Good. I would think so, especially you as the commissioner. So, Commissioner, thank you very much for being on Cop Talk today and really appreciate you coming in. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Yonkers Police Commissioner Christopher Sapienza. Captain? I think you're doing a great job. Uh, thank you both. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Commissioner. Be safe now. Thank you. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.